Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. I want you to turn with me to a couple different places this morning. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, and I'll quote Acts chapter 1 through 8. I don't want to give you too many things to turn to, but Matthew 28, Mark 16. As you know, for the past few weeks, we've been teaching some pretty basic stuff. And we learned uh, that it's important that we meet together as a church in person, and it's not beneficial for anybody to miss a lot of church. Amen? Hallelujah. Wednesday night, we talked about COVID fears. And I just want to say this. If you have a legitimate reason that you're not coming to church in person, that's fine. I, I, I respect that. I honor that. But if you're not coming because of fear of COVID or COVID fears, that's not the right reason to stay home. Amen? I mean, uh, if you're going anywhere else, I can promise you that our church is sanitized a whole lot better than Walmart and Kmart. Or, well, we don't have Kmart anymore. How about Kroger? That starts with a K. And, you know, all these other places that you might go. Uh, our church is sanitized. It's clean. It's safe here. Amen? Amen. So if uh, you're staying home because you're afraid of COVID and you're going to other places like Walmart, then I encourage you to come to church in person. I know you can hear the word over the Facebook Live or the YouTube that we're on or, or any other social media site, but uh, it's just not the same. You need to be here under the anointing that's coming from the pulpit, under the corporate anointing of the church, under the covering of the church. I know you can hear things from home, but you just can't always feel the anointing that you feel when you're here. Amen. God can speak to you a whole lot better in person than he can over the Facebook Live or something. So I encourage you to come. Uh, we also learned the importance of tithing and stewardship, or we learned at least the principle of tithing, and uh, that everyone has a part to play in the church, and that we have a harvest field that needs a laborer, and you're that laborer, Amen. And we also learned how to get someone born again or born into the kingdom of God. Last week, we studied the parable of the talents, and we talked about faithfulness. How many knows you need to be faithful? If you want to be successful in anything in life, you need to be faithful at doing it. If you're not faithful, you're not going to be successful. Amen? And, uh, you know, you have to be faithful in going to work every day. You have to be faithful in your marriage, faithful with your children, faithful coming to church. And if you're not faithful, you're not going to succeed in these areas. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the Great Commission. The Great Commission. I, I, I trust everyone's heard about the Great Commission. If you haven't, you'll know what it is when we're finished here today. And I want to start out by reading Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And it's recorded in Matthew 28, 18, Mark 16 and 15, and in Acts 1 and 8. These are the last things Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. In Matthew 28 and 18, he said, uh, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. That means there wasn't any left over. He got it all. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. In other words, teach them the word of God. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Mark 16... This is Mark's recording of Jesus' last words, starting with verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, Jesus' name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Who is they? Believers. Not the pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles. It's the every believer is a they. They shall lay hands. You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we're instructed to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're to teach these new disciples to obey the Word of God. That's our job. That's every one of our jobs. It's not just the pastor's job or the evangelist's job. It's every one of our jobs. Paul said that we all have a ministry of reconciliation. And that means that we go out and preach the word. We preach the gospel to every creature. I can't get to every creature, but you can get to your little creatures that you know, and they can get to their little creatures that they know, and that's how the gospel spreads. But we've all been assigned the ministry of reconciliation. Go out and reconcile somebody back to the kingdom of God. Amen? Hallelujah. So a disciple is defined in the dictionary as a follower, an adherent, something that adheres to something a believer, an admirer, a pupil, a student, a protege, a learner, a supporter, and an advocate. That's what a disciple is. And the one that we are being a protege of, the one that we're following, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our master. Amen? And so we're his disciples, which means that we should be acting like him. We should be teaching the same things that he taught uh, because that's what a disciple does. And we have a mission that God has given to every one of us as his followers and as his disciples, and he has even empowered us to do it. That's why we, we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, because that's where you receive power from on high to be a witness for him everywhere you go. And these last words of Jesus in both Matthew and Mark are referred to as the Great Commission. Not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. As, and as a matter of fact, it is really a commandment. Because he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, would you please go if you feel like it? Would you go if you have a chance? No, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so... Uh, uh, a lot of people think this is a suggestion because when Jesus said to go ye into all the world, they took it literally and they thought, well, that's for the missionaries. I don't have to go out into all the world. It's only those that are called. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that you are called. And you might not go to the uttermost regions of the earth or to the edges of the earth, but we all have a world that we live in. And all our little worlds are different. We all have different people in our worlds that we are that we call them spheres of influence. There's people in our little world that we can influence, and those are the ones we should be influencing. Our children, our grandchildren, uh, our friends, our cousins and uncles and brothers and sisters and all of that. That's our little world. And it might just be Jerusalem. Maybe you'll, your world will extend out into Judea or even Samaria, which is a larger area. And some may even extend to the edges of the earth. My ministry doesn't extend that far. But with Facebook Live and YouTube, I'm getting out a little bit further. I might be in Judea. Amen. But it's nothing wrong with you never leaving your little world as long as you're preaching the gospel there. You're preaching it to your family, the grocery store that you go to, the gas station when you're standing next to somebody, and Starbucks, whatever. That's your world. Amen. 
And so we're all called to that world. And uh, you may not be required to go into all the world, but you are required to be a witness everywhere you go. Amen. And I don't know how far you're going, but wherever you're going and wherever it's at, you're to be a witness. And you've been empowered to be a witness. And if everyone would just do that, just do your part, just preach the gospel to the little creatures that are in your world, and if they do it, and they do it, and they do it, it will spread throughout the world all the way to the edge of the world, the uttermost regions of the world. And this is our assignment as a church, as a member of the body of Christ, and as a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus told us to do. That's our primary job is to not only teach people, but to make them disciples by obeying the word of God. Hallelujah. I like the way the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He said that we are to be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Imitators. We're to be imitators of Christ. We're to walk in love. We're to give ourselves to him as an offering and sacrifice. Become a sweet-smelling savor. Not a stench in his nostrils. A sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. Now, what is an imitator? I'm going to give you the dictionary definition. And then I'm going to tell you how you can really find out what an imitator is. The dictionary defines imitator as a copier, or we would say in today's modern vernacular, a copycat. It's an emulator. It's a follower. That's what an imitator is. Sort of sounds like a disciple, doesn't it? And if you really want to know what an imitator is, sit your kids down in front of the television and put on a superhero's movie. And when it's over, watch them. You'll see what an imitator is. They'll be doing karate chops and everything, flying through the air and all kinds of stuff. Why? They're imitating what they saw. Amen? And in in this instance, it was a superhero. But we're to imitate Christ. Amen? And, you know, I'll go as far as to say that he's the greatest superhero I've ever known. He's got power. He can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He can stop speeding locomotives, all fly through. He can do anything he wants. More than any superhero that we have in Marvel or the other action films at Disneyland or anywhere else. He's the greatest superhero I know. And we need to teach our kids that. Amen? Jesus is a superhero. But Jesus taught his disciples to imitate himself. Why? Because Jesus imitated his father everywhere he went. He said, I do nothing of myself, but as the father has taught me, so I do. Uh, He says, I speak only that which I have seen with my father. And then he also said, he that has seen me has seen the father. Man, that's an imitator to the max. He imitated God so perfectly, his father, that he could actually say, if you see me, you've seen the father. That's the epitome of of imitating somebody. And then for about three years, the disciples were taught to imitate Jesus. And Jesus imitates the father. And he even sent them out on a test run. It was like what we call on-the-job training. Uh, The Bible says in Luke 9, 1 through 6, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Now, they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost here. Jesus hadn't gone to the Father yet. And he said, It's expedient that I go to the Father, because if I go, I will send you another comforter, one exactly like me, and that was the Holy Spirit. So he hadn't been crucified or raised from the dead yet, so... They didn't have the Spirit of God in them. They had the Spirit of God with them or upon them as it was necessary for for them to do the things that Jesus told them to do. So he taught his disciples, uh, his believers and followers, that he wanted wanted them to imitate him as he imitated the Father. And so it says in verse 2, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, or the gospel, 
and to heal the sick, cast out devils just like he was doing. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey. There's a test of faith right there. Neither staves nor script, which is money, neither bread, or, or I thought it was money, but it says here, neither money. Uh, I think the script was something to trade, but he said, neither have two coats apiece. He said, just take the coat you're wearing. And here's the trick with that. If somebody asked for it, they were supposed to give it to them. And that would make them be without a coat. So you had to have some faith there, especially if it's cold. And then he said, And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and thence depart. Whoever invites you in to stay, because they didn't have a tent, they didn't have anything to sustain them in the weather. He says, Stay there until you depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He preached the gospel and he healed. Well, he preached the kingdom of God, but he healed everywhere he went. Everyone that came to him, he healed. And then in another place in the Gospel of Luke, Luke said that he sent out 72 of them in pairs. And when they returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Now, those disciples then ain't no different than the disciples that are sitting in this room. Amen. Amen. We just have to believe that we're the same, that we have the same authority that Jesus gave those disciples. So the, the Spirit was with them as they went, but the last thing Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven was for them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That was going to be the power they needed to be witnesses. And he wanted the Spirit not to be with them, not to be on them, but he wanted the Spirit to be in them. In them. Everywhere they go, they didn't have to, to pray and wait for the anointing to come on them. The anointing was abiding in them. The Spirit was abiding in them. Jesus was abiding in them. Everywhere you go, you got the Spirit of God with you. And so that's an advantage for everyone. But Jesus told his disciples, and we looked at this last week, but it won't hurt to look at it uh, for another minute. Right before he ascended into heaven... Uh, he told them, go to Jerusalem, be baptized, receive the power from on high. Uh, and then he told them to be a witness. And the best witnesses we can possibly be is when we imitate Jesus, the one we're following. Imitate him everywhere we go, 24-7, 365. And this is the most important part of being a witness is being able to uh, imitate the one that we're witnessing for. Be a good witness. Be a good imitator of Christ. They're one and the same. And they went to that upper room in Jerusalem, appointed another disciple to replace Judas. You remember Judas betrayed Jesus, and then he went out and hung himself. And so there was 11 disciples. They go to Jerusalem, uh, get up in that upper room, and uh, they immediately elect another disciple. Uh, and that was Matthias, or Matthias, they called him. So now we're back to 12 disciples again. Amen? And so uh, the first thing happened is the Holy Spirit descended, and it birthed the church, of course, but it filled and empowered all the believers that were left in the upper room, which happened to be 120. It started out with about 500, but it was a long prayer meeting, and people had other things to do, so they didn't hang out, hang around. They left and went home and got the roast out of the oven or, or whatever they had to do. And they missed out on that initial infilling. But 120 of them stuck it out, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with new tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wasn't that part of the Great Commission? You shall speak with new tongues? Well, they spoke with new tongues, and uh, that was on the day of Pentecost. They were, received power to witness, power to be imitators of Christ, and then they went out first into Jerusalem, and they began fulfilling a great commission, making disciples everywhere they went. And that's why I said, if you never make it out of Jerusalem, be a witness where you are. Amen? 
Peter preached the gospel to those that were gathered outside of the upper room and made 3,000 converts with that one message. That was a powerful message, too. Uh, and next to Christ, I believe that was the most powerful message in the New Testament is the one that Peter preached right there. Greater than the one Paul preached, greater, greater than all the other preachers uh, except for Jesus, this was a powerful message. You should read it in the book of Acts. Anyway, 3,000 people get saved. They get converted, what we call being converted, born again. And so he started a church there in Jerusalem for those new converts so that they could be taught and be made disciples. He doesn't want us to just stay a convert and sit on our blessed assurance until Jesus comes again. He don't want that. He wants you to become a convert and then sit under a pastor and learn how to be a disciple and go out, make more converts and make them into disciples or bring them to church and we'll make them into disciples. But it, it doesn't stop with just being saved or converted. He wants us all to become imitators of Christ. So then those disciples went out and made more converts, got them into the church so that they could learn to be disciples and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. And, and our job doesn't end with just making the converts. We've got to make them disciples. We've got to teach them the word of God, teach them to be imitators of Christ. And the church in Jerusalem grew so fast that the disciples couldn't keep up with it. And we looked at this last week. So they had to appoint deacons to help them with the everyday administration of the work so that they can concentrate on uh, prayer and the study of the word. And the Bible says the ministry of the word, which includes the study of the word and the teaching and preaching of the word. And if they weren't able to get the right amount of prayer in or get the right amount of study in, then they couldn't deliver the word that God wanted them to deliver. Amen. I know you think that I'm being paid to stand up here for an hour, hour and a half once a week. And that's all I'm paid for. But I can guarantee you there's 25 to 30 hours of prayer and study that goes into every one of these messages. And you could probably tell when I didn't get my time in. <laughs> it won't be such an anointing on the message. And so it's important that we're able to do that. And thank God we got, now I'm an active pastor. You know, if, if we got work to do here, I'm right in the middle of it. And I don't mind that. It's okay for me to roll my sleeves up. But when it comes to the ministry of the word, that comes first before anything else in the church. And thank God I got enough able-bodied people in here to take care of all the things that need to be taken care of so that I can pray and study, spend time in the word. So that when I get up here on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, usually it's going to be pastorette now most of the time. I'll have something to say that you need to hear. Amen? Yeah. It's easy for me to find things to say, but I need to find things that you need to hear. And that only comes in prayer and study. Amen? Amen. Acts 6.4, he says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that's the pastor's job to do that. It's our job as pastors uh, to do that. And like I said, anytime we can't, it's going to hurt everybody. Um, and again, I said last week, the pastors can't do it all, and neither are we supposed to do it all. Uh, we've been commissioned to make disciples, all of us. But you can't make disciples unless you have somebody teach you how to be a disciple, how to be an imitator of Christ. And we just read Jesus' last words as he ascended into heaven but the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, something that we didn't read in his, in his last, his departing words, that as he ascended, the Apostle Paul gave us insight and said that he gave gifts to the church and he tells us the purpose of these gifts. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Now these are the gifts. Now, I might, be, I might not be wrapped so pretty, but I'm still a gift. He says to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, I have to teach you how to be full of Christ, uh, uh, an imitator of Christ. He said, and then we will no longer be infants or baby Christians tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful, deceitful scheming. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but there's a lot of deceitful people out there scheming people. And some of them are at the highest level of government. And the only way that you will keep from being tossed about by every wind of teaching or the things you're hearing from them is that you know better because you know the Word of God because I've taught it to you and because you've studied it and because you've prayed for yourself and because you're full of the Holy Ghost, you can tell right away if somebody's full of something else. Amen. But you need the Word and the anointing to do that. You need discernment. And this is how we get it. Verse 15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking the Word in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part. We're not all working it, but we all have a part. So Christ gave the gifts to perfect the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, to equip his people for works of service. In other words, to make them disciples, make them imitators of Christ. And a church should be full of disciples that are able to train, uh, not only get people born again, make converts, but to also then begin to train them to, to be disciples. And that's why we learned last week how to get someone born again. I mean, this has been basic stuff, but this is what we need sometimes, just basic. You don't have to have a revelation every time you come to church. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we got to get back to the basics. Sometimes we got to learn the basic things, the basic doctrines of Christ over again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, uh, you know, the church should be able to Go out and make disciples. Get them in. This is how the church grows. And, and I said last week that's, that's your job as a sheep because sheep beget sheep. But it's my job as well. It's the evangelist's job. It's everybody's job. We all have that ministry of reconciliation. And, and I, I won't hesitate to witness to somebody and invite them to church. Uh, one of the problems that I've always had, and, and it's not really a problem, is that my little world, my sphere of influence was... Always too far from this building for 99% of the people. Thank God Paddywhack ain't afraid to drive. Paddywhack's one of my disciples that uh, I helped create, you know. And, and he, like, I witnessed to him out at the Ford plant and invited him to church. And one day he came. Hallelujah. And, and, and he came because he wasn't afraid to drive. I'm glad you weren't afraid to drive. There's other people drive. Uh, me and Pastor Red for three and a half years drove 100 miles to church. Amen. Every week we didn't miss. We drove there on a Saturday night, spent the night in the, the little uh, community house that they had and was there for Sunday morning service and Sunday night service, come home late Sunday night. Went to bed about midnight or so, got up at, th I got up three o'clock in the morning, Pastor Red got up about five and uh, went to work. And did it for three and a half years. It can be done. Amen. And, and today people want to, they want convenience, you know. Uh, they'll come to a church or not come to a church depending on how the praise and worship tickles their fancy. Depending on how far it is. Depending on how comfortable it is. They don't like hard pews. They want padded pews. Depending on what kind of parking lot you got, just all kinds of things keep people from coming to church. And it shouldn't ought to be like that. Is this where God told you to be? Then I don't care if you have to travel 100 miles. You need to be where God placed you. Amen. 
Hallelujah. But anyway, uh, this is how you grow the church. And sad to say, for the past 20 or so years, the church as a whole has failed to do this. Now, I'm going to get into some shaky ground here, but I'm, and I'm not going to mention any names. You may recognize some, uh, but I'm not going to mention any names or any ministries. But the church has come to a place where they're more concerned with attendance than they are with making disciples. Amen. Now, I, you know, I go to ministers' meetings. And I'm not saying every single time, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that almost every time I'm at one of the meetings, one of the questions I get is, how many people are attending your church? How many people do you have in your church? And uh, that's not a concern to me. And uh, it shouldn't be to other people. That shouldn't be one of the first questions that anybody asks. Amen. Amen. Uh, I would rather them say, is God moving in your church? How's the spirit in your church? You know, uh, is the word being preached in your church? You know, that's more important than how many people you got in the pews. Amen. But anyway, uh, as a result, all over this country, they have converted to what is called a seeker friendly gospel. This has been going on for 20 years if not better. We had the opportunity to become seeker-friendly, and we, we didn't become seeker-friendly. Uh, and the reason they do is because they want to attract people. And uh, don't get me wrong about this, but they use smoke machines, light beams, music with worldly beats, uplifted music, and uh, all kinds of gimmicks and coffee shops and this stuff. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really have a problem with that. God hasn't told me to do it. God hasn't told Pastor Ed to do it. Uh, but the reason I say I don't have a problem, because I believe you have to use whatever bait attracts the fish. Amen. And it does work for some churches. My alma mater, Rama, they use the... The smoke machines, it's not really smoke, it's a mist or, or something like steam or something like that. And the light beams, and the steam makes the light beams, you can see the light beams a lot better and stuff. And they're moving all over the place and that, and the, the music is really upbeat. And it's excellent music, it's anointed music at Rhema, which a lot of the churches lack. And uh, I really think that we should use whatever it takes to attract the lost. But this is what I have a problem with is once we've attracted them to the churches or to our church, then we have to preach the unadulterated, uncompromised, anointed word of God so that they can be set free and changed. That's not being done in a lot of seeker friendly churches. It is at Rhema. It is at the churches that I know that are using these things. But there's a lot of them that are more interested in filling the seats than they are making disciples of the people that are sitting in those seats. Now, if the pastor is doing that, at least, you know, we can have all the smoke machines and flashing lights and, uh, and upbeat music and all that he wants, because after he gets them there, after they took the bait, he's at least setting them free with an anointed, yoke-destroying, chain-breaking uh, word of God. Amen. So I don't have a problem with that part, but there's a, that's where a lot of the seeker-friendly churches are failing. Uh, and some pastors have started preaching a seeker-friendly gospel, and that's dangerous. And they're doing it so that they can keep the people there. And that's what I have a problem with because it's a compromised gospel. And that don't set anybody free. That don't make disciples out of anybody. And, and there are people in mega churches this morning walking into a sanctuary full of theater seats, sipping on their lattes and sweet rolls that they got from the coffee shop in the lobby. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that either. Well, you can't come in here drinking it and eating it, but I don't have a problem with having a coffee shop in the church. We may even have one if our church was small or a little larger. And... Uh, and I know some of you are wanting to know where that church is right now, but I ain't telling you. 
But this seeker-friendly gospel that is being preached is a gospel that has been adapted to today's culture and the sinful, sensuous, pleasure-seeking flesh of man and woman. You know, but here's the problem. You brought them there through the flesh, and now you're trying to keep them there through the flesh. You brought them there with fleshly temptations, and now you have to keep them there with fleshly temptations, or they're going to leave. And they don't want them to leave. They want that seat full. They want that coffer filled when it passes. And uh, it's an adaptation of the true gospel, which means that it has been modified or compromised and made useful for a new purpose. And that purpose makes it politically correct. It makes it a feel-good gospel where they don't want to say anything that would offend somebody. And they don't want to say anything or do anything that would make people feel uncomfortable. But that in itself would make me feel uncomfortable and make me want to live. My son Mike went to one of them churches a while back. I might have even told you this story. He said that he got there early because he's a big boy. He likes to sit on the end seat so he can hang his arm over and stuff, you know. And he says he gets there early to get the end seat. And right before service starts, the usher comes over and asks him to move in. So somebody else could sit in the seat that he got there early for to get. And Mike says, uh, I'll step out and let somebody pass me, but I'm not giving this seat up. Well, the usher actually got belligerent with him, you know. So Mike tolerated that, and he stayed until the music started. And the pastor comes running out on the stage with these flashing lights and smoke, and really loud music, he said everybody's hair was being blown back by the speakers. And he said the pastor comes running out onto the stage with a Z, a lightning bolt on the side of his head. So Mike says, I'm going to stick it out a little longer. He said by the second song, he was out of there. He said it was so sensuous that he says he knew he wouldn't be able to receive anything there. And it was a more of a younger generation church. It was uh, pastors were young. The praise and worship was young. And most of those attending were young. There were a few old people there, that elder people there, that uh, used to come to the church before it changed hands into that. But I don't know how long they stayed. They might still be there. Maybe they got used to it or maybe they turned their hearing aids off and just tolerate I don't know. But that makes me uncomfortable. Amen. But uh, they have changed not only the format and the music, but they changed the message so as not to offend anybody or make them feel uncomfortable because they don't want them to leave. So they won't mention anything that would describe groups identified by external markers uh, such as gender, culture, political, or sexual orientation. They stay away from that. And you may say, well, what's wrong with not wanting to be offensive? What's wrong with it, it is, is it's not the true gospel and it's biblically incorrect. That's what's wrong with it. See, if the gospel doesn't offend, convict, reprove, rebuke, or make people feel uncomfortable at least once in a while, then it's not the true gospel. If you're not getting offended by the gospel, you're not, you're not hearing the true gospel. Uh, we call it having our toes stepped on. But if your toes ain't stepped down once in a while by the preaching, then you're not getting the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen? Amen. A preacher that preaches this seeker-friendly gospel, and why am I talking about this this morning? What's it got to do with my message? Uh, they're replacing making disciples with this. They don't care if you become a disciple as long as you don't leave their church. And I'm talking mega churches. I'm talking about some big churches. And uh, if you, you might even think back on someone, but if you turn on a, a, a church on television and you start watching them for a while and you notice that after a few sermons or a few weeks of watching them, hey, wait a minute, he never mentions blood. He never mentions the Holy Ghost. He, me he never mentions being baptized in the Holy Ghost. He never mentions speaking in other tongues. He never mentions all of these things that Christ taught us in the Great Commission. That might be a seeker-friendly church. I even know churches that have a seeker-friendly Sunday morning church, 
But if you want to move of the Holy Ghost, you come on Wednesday nights. Now, we were, we're, we're starting some Holy Ghost meetings here on a Wednesday night, but I'm not afraid to present the Holy Ghost on a Sunday morning either. Amen? And, and, but this is to accommodate those that would get offended by the Holy Ghost or a move of the Holy Ghost. And some people are offended if somebody breaks out in a run or breaks out in a shout or a dance. People get offended. I don't want none of that on the Sunday morning service, the preacher says. You want to do all that stuff, you come on a Wednesday night. A right hand of God. I know churches like that. That's a seeker friendly. A seeker friendly gospel won't condemn the sin. Now don't start throwing stones until I explain it all. But they won't condemn the sin of the LGBTQ lifestyle. Because it might offend people. And a seeker friendly preacher won't preach against drinking Smoking dope, using drugs, adultery, and sex outside of marriage because it's offensive and makes people comfortable, uncomfortable. And people don't like to be told how to dress when they come to church, so there's no dress code. You come any way you want. And we don't have a dress code here, but the Bible does have a dress code. It says to dress uh, with modesty. Amen? That means you don't come in here with provocative, revealing Hem lines or uh, hem lines or uh, neck lines, you know, <laughs> with your stuff hanging out. Pants look like they've been sprayed on you or something. No, that's not modest. We need to dress modestly. Paul said dress with modesty. Amen? See, that makes me uncomfortable. So they... <laughs> Because people don't like to be told how to dress. They won't present you with a dress code. They let you come any way you want. And I don't care if you've got a T-shirt on, a three-piece suit with a vest, uh, a tie, no tie. I don't care. Jeans, uh, shorts, that don't bother me. I don't have a dress code concerning that. But if they're too tight or they're too revealing, i got a problem with that. Amen? And the praise and worship team in this these churches are presenting with really sensuous beats and sensuous loud music that has no mention of Jesus Christ, has no mention of the blood, never sing about the blood, never sing about any Holy Spirit songs or anything like that because they'll make people uncomfortable. Well, if you've got the Spirit of God in you, that type of music makes you uncomfortable. And the pastors that preach this friendly gospel. They want to be accommodating and tolerant and acceptant of everyone that comes through the door. And they argue that there should be no restrictions or qualifications for someone to come to church. And I, I can't agree with them more. You shouldn't have to have qualifications to come to church. You shouldn't have to be able to meet some kind of criteria to come to church. I don't care if you come if somebody comes in that door, they're a homosexual, a lesbian, a transgender. I don't care if they're drunk when they come through that door. But I do care if after spending a few services here that they continue to stay like that and want to be like that when I'm offering them an alternative. And that alternative is the anointed word of God that could set them free and change them. Amen? And so they're welcome here. I don't, I don't care who. I don't put qualifications on people that come here. Uh, I want people to feel welcome and accepted when they come to this church. But once they're here, they should have, I'm not going to force them into anything, but they should at least be able to hear the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should be preached to them with an anointing and power, a message that has been prayed over so that they'll feel conviction when the Holy Ghost puts his finger on them and says, he's talking to you. I want you to be able to hear that. And then make your own decisions, make your own choices. Amen? And so, uh, instead, they're getting a watered-down, non-offensive version of the gospel that doesn't bring conviction for sin and doesn't set anybody free. But the problem with that is it makes people feel comfortable in their sin. They don't have no reason to change sin. 
They don't have no reason to repent because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Nobody's ever told them. And the message that's being conveyed is that it's okay to live any way you want and God accepts it because he knows that we can't help ourselves. But we can help ourselves. There's an anointing for us to help ourselves. Uh, it's a message that tells us it's okay to get drunk, to smoke pot, to do drugs, to get high, to cheat on your wife, to have sex outside of marriage, to have same marriage or same sex marriage. It's a gospel that tells us it's okay to live the LGBTQ lifestyle and same sex marriage is okay, but God says it isn't. So I have to tell you what God says. And people think I'm picking on the LGBTQ people, but I'm not. I've always preached from this pulpit that sin is sin. And God doesn't have big or little sins, mortal or venial sins. It's all sin to God. And, you know, the sin of gluttony, the sin of fornication, the sin of stealing, the sin of cheating on your employer is just as bad as any LGBTQ sin that you can think of. So why, how could I uh, speak about sin across the board and not mention that those other sins? i got to preach them all. I can't pick and choose the sins that I'm going to preach on based on whether or not it offends somebody or makes them feel uncomfortable. Amen. See, a pastor is going to stand before God someday and give account for what he taught his sheep. And we take on a great responsibility because God says that we're the bishops and shepherds of your souls. It's an awesome responsibility to be responsible for someone's soul. Amen. And pastors all over the world are willing to do this. And so my only defense is that I have got to preach the uncompromised truth of the word of God. And leave it with you as to whether or not you adhere to it. Whether or not you obey the word of God. Because I can't be responsible for you uh, making wrong choices. I just have to make sure that you know what the right choice is. And that's what we try to do in this church. Give you the ability to choose wisely. Amen. Hallelujah. See, the seeker-friendly gospel tells us that God loves us so much he will tolerate anything that we want to do. And that's, that's a lie. It's also a gospel of inclusion. And that tells us that we're all going to heaven whether or not you accepted the finished work of Christ. And I'm telling you, that part of the gospel right there is sending more people to hell than anything else. The worst thing you can do is make somebody feel comfortable in their sin and not tell them the truth, and they wind up going to hell because you held the truth back. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And I know that might offend other religions and that, but, you know, you got your beliefs, we got ours. I believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. There's no errors in the Bible. I believe that is the only true word of God. And, you know, you might have another book that you go by, uh, but I just don't believe that's the truth. Just like you don't believe I'm preaching the truth. So I can't help somebody like that. Our common ground has to be the word of God. Our common ground has to be the Bible. Or, or we have to go our separate ways. Amen. I'm not going to change the gospel. I'm not going to change the words of Christ just because I might offend you uh, by telling you this is the only way. There's not other ways to heaven. And I can name you big mega church pastors that says, well, it, it, you know, uh, I, I can't be the judge of that. When they know Jesus said he's the only way, and they say, well, I can't be the judge of that. Yeah, there, there may be other ways to heaven. No, you just told a lie. You just sent probably countless peoples to hell because some of them are going to believe what you said. Can't do that. Amen. Amen. I know it's going to be a little quiet in here today, but I'm still going to preach it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, you know, people are supposed to be changed by the gospel, not the other way around. The gospel isn't supposed to be changed by people.
And the people that are being attracted are not being changed because the seeker-friendly gospel is not challenging them. So I'm not going to dress like the world. I'm not going to get tattoos and piercings like the world. If you got one, hey, I got a tattoo. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but after I learned what I learned, I'm not getting no tattoos, no more tattoos. I'm certainly not going to get poked uh, with a piercing or something, maybe because I'm chicken, but I hope it's because I don't believe it's right. But I'm not going to talk like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, uh, just so they won't leave my church, just so I attract people to, to the church and keep them here. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to imitate Jesus Christ to the best of my abilities, no matter what it takes, no matter whose feelings it hurts, and no matter how uncomfortable it makes somebody, I have got to do that. And we can't act like the world because we're afraid we're going to lose them to hell because that's their choice. If I present them with the truth and they choose not to accept it or they choose not to accept Jesus Christ, that's not on me. That's their choice. If they leave this church, and they have in the droves over the years, that their choice. They, uh, I, we've been accused of everything from A to Z, but I'm telling you the bottom line is they chose to leave. I don't care. It doesn't take any excuses or anything. You know, own up to your choices. Don't make excuses for them. If it's the right choice, you should stand behind it. So, you know, if you left this church in the past, I'm not getting on your case. You might have had a good reason for it, but you made the choice. The, the final choice was up to you. You're here this morning because you chose to be. And some are not here this morning because they chose not to be. Amen? People go to hell for one reason and one reason only, because they rejected Jesus Christ. It don't make any difference what church you rejected, what ministry you rejected. You go to hell because you rejected Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. It's not because the church failed you or because the church pushed you away. You go because you chose to go. And a lot of Jesus' disciples quit walking with him because he was preaching hard truth, just like I'm preaching it this morning. But some people have a hard time believing the truth no matter what the Bible says. I've even heard him say, well, I know what the Bible says, but. No, there is no buts. It's what the Bible said or nothing. There's no buts like that in the Bible. You know, there's no crying in baseball. There's no buts in the Bible. If the Bible said it, that's it. That settles it. But these people left Jesus. His own disciples were leaving him in droves. It says in John 6, 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back, in other words, backslid, and walked no more with Jesus. Then said Jesus unto the twelve original disciples, he said, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. Yeah. Where are we going to go? I, you know, I thought about quitting the ministry I don't know how many times. Uh, but, you know, the ultimate question I had to ask myself is, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I'm going to follow Jesus because he has the words to eternal life. And that's exactly how I feel. I feel just like Peter did. I ain't going nowhere because I don't have nowhere to go. Where am I going to go? Who can give me eternal life? Nobody. But as far as I'm concerned, if the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel doesn't draw people to this church, then I'm not going to use a gimmick to get them here. Amen. If you invite somebody to church and they happen to come, I'm not going to use a gimmick to keep them here. I'm going to love them. I'm going to teach them to the best of my ability. I'm going to accept them. I'm not going to condemn anybody. I'm going to try to get them to grow in the Lord. I'm going to try to make disciples of them. I don't care where they came from, what they've been into, what they're into when they walk through that door. I'm going to do my best to shepherd them. I'm going to do my best uh, to, to teach them. Amen. Amen. And, you know, uh, I was listening to Dr. Mark Barkley. He's the one that's going to preach at that meeting we go to, man. 
And he said that you cannot preach the world to the world to save the world. And that's exactly what this seeker-friendly thing is all about. It's preachers preaching the world to the world, trying to save the world. And that will not work. And there are people that go to church and don't want any part of God or me or you. Amen. Not this church, but you may know one. They go for all the wrong reasons, and because of that, they don't contribute to the growth of the church or even want to contribute to the growth of the church. They, they view the church as a, some kind of a club or an organization like the YMCA or something, you know. They want to come to the, to the club. They want to use the facilities, and then they take their dirty, sweaty towels and throw it under the bench or something for somebody else to pick up and clean up. I mean, they're, they're not contributing to the, to the growth of the church. And they go out in the world there, and they don't contribute to the kingdom of God. They're not a good witness, and they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. And again, it's not because they ain't being taught the right things. It's because they choose not to do anything. They choose to stay the, the way that they are. And... Uh, I'm just not going to accept the blame for that. Amen? Uh, see, you're going to learn how to be a good witness here. And you're going to learn how to make disciples in this church. And you're going to learn about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You're going to learn about the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for you and I. You're going to learn about repentance of sin. You're going to learn about the Holy Ghost, the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and speaking in other tongues in this church. And if you don't like it, you can choose to leave. Amen. Let's pray before I get in trouble. Before I get in more trouble than I'm already in. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the uncompromised, unadulterated, inerrant word of God called the Bible. God, we believe every word that's in this Bible. We believe that it was God-breathed. It was inspired by you. You breathed upon it. You used holy men of old, full of wisdom in the Holy Ghost, to write the words on these pages. But every, every word that was written was authored by you, was authored by the Holy Ghost. We accept this Bible in its totality. We accept the word of God in its totality. If you said it, we believe it. And that settles it. Hallelujah. Well, if you said it, that settles it whether we believe it or not. That's how we're going to view the, the Word of God, this Bible. Uh, the, the Bible isn't holy, but the words that are written in it are holy. And we're going to treat them as such. And Father, we're going to teach them and we're going to learn them. The way that Jesus taught his disciples and the way that Jesus demonstrated to his disciples. We're going to try to follow that pattern to the best of our abilities. And, and, and I know we're not going to be perfect. I know we're going to miss it at times, but we're going to move in the Holy Ghost. We're going to move in the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to operate like the book of Acts, like the church that we see in the book of Acts, because we know the book of Acts is still being written. We're part of the book of Acts. And so we want to look as, uh, as much as possible Exactly like the early church that Jesus left when he ascended into heaven and the Holy Ghost came down here and started. So we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for what was imparted into us today. We pray that every one of us will leave this church today, go out into that world and be the witness that you asked us to be and to be the to make disciples of every nation to go into our world and to teach men and women to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in advance. Ask that you bless each and every one within the sound of my voice this morning, Lord. If they need healing, heal them. If they need a word, give them a word. If they need an anointed touch, anoint them and touch them with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I love and appreciate you. Even though I didn't talk like it this morning, I still love you and appreciate you. Thank you, Facebook, for listening. If you thought this was worthwhile, then hit the share button and share it with somebody. We'll see you next week.
this concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.